something that this has really proved to me because it's essentially that everyone, especially in the financial world, everyone looks great when the market ticks up. You know, oh yeah. You you ask based on what we both know, we ask people, we show people as much evidence as we can, but sometimes they're just like, eh, you know, my account's going up. Why, why do I mm-hmm. need to change? There's no pain there. Um, mm-hmm. And then we hit something like this. And I guess this is where you make your, your hay because I can't imagine having a total reliance on the market and then 30% of the account just evaporates. Right. There's a guy on the radio who called in. Um, it was a like a, it's normally a political radio station, um, mm-hmm. but this guy called in and he said seventy percent of his four hundred one k was gone. Now that's an it, individual. It, it really is nuts. It, Absolutely and, nuts. Um, and I think the biggest thing that go ahead. Oh no! I I just wanted to comment about the, and you're probably going here. It's just the the, I feel as though general financial education has been, just totally inadequate. Awful. Yeah, I think mean, it's been awful, and in I think that more and more people are learning that right now, um, and the typical way of doing financial planning since it came about and with the early 80s, late 70s, is it, it doesn't work. Um, what the 401k replaced was the pensions. And at the time, nobody was doing studies to see if it was actually even viable. And now we're learning it's not viable. And we're learning through this that some of these large corporations are actually starting to pull their contributions out of the out of their, these plans. And so... And what I mean by that is like where you put your money in over, over the years and they're contributing to it. Well, they're completely stopping it. And now it, you really are just stuffing money in an area that you can't do anything with. And you become victim of that plan and completely subject to the market, the, the volatility of the market and the legislation of whatever the government chooses. And we saw it perfectly to this year is, it took an act of Congress for you to have your money be available without having a penalty. And, um, I, and it's crazy. And also um, on the other end too, of uh, it took them waiving RMDs so that you aren't forced to take your money out in, mm-hmm. in a down market and be subject to tax. Yep. And I believe they know something that we don't because – they wouldn't do this and they wouldn't do this in a way that they completely lose. I think that what their thought is is we don't have to take RMDs today, but maybe a year or two down the road, these RMDs are gonna be a little bit bigger so that they recapture those taxes that they were accounting on. Well, absolutely. I mean it's all shaving up to be good. Yeah, why would the uh, why would the government intentionally take a loss? And you know, as the old saying goes, the worst thing you can ever hear is, um, you know, I'm I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but um, 
but uh, well, actually, funny enough, there was because uh, apparently I think it was Illinois now they're they're doing um, therapy sessions. You can call in, and they've got these government-approved therapists. Which, of course, this this only happens in a world where we decided that you know we no longer need the Bible, so instead we're gonna go to the shrink who tells us you know that we really wanted to kill our dads and um, you know mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. whatever yeah. you know they learned in in their Ivy Towers, but. Um, uh, that's another topic for another day. Regardless, you, uh, the the speech could not have been crafted more perfectly. He was talking about, uh, you know, we're here to help. You know, we are the government. Essentially, a um, that the state was here to help you, and and that really is, I think, the antithesis of the American way, and that is just so perfectly manifest in the well, we're the government, and we'll tell you when you can take your own bread out or not. You know. And we'll even do you a favor. We won't tax it this time for now. Yeah, for now. I think, and, go ahead. I, I think what most people don't get is, so if, all right, let's, let's talk about the wave of the penalty. What they're saying is you can take it as a loan. That way, if you put it back in the first year, you don't have to pay taxes on it. But if you take it over three years, well, you're going to have to take, pay the taxes on it. And they don't realize, well, the reason they want you to put it back in that year is for them to have the compound interest on it and you can pay the taxes later. And then you're, um, you're forced to, cause if you, if you take that loan out and then you go and buy groceries with it or buy something that's not an asset, then that's a loss. So, you know, that's, that's taking on bad debt because you're not leveraging it into something that's, you know, then going to pay that balance off. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, I just believe, you know, that uh, look, it's not all the government's fault because it, on the other side, and and I was working this out um, in an essay um, that I've been writing. Essentially, the advisor on the other side, and I don't want to make it seem as though the advisor is some sort of malicious figure here, but they still get their one percent. You know, Wall Street still gets paid. Um, it's the only one that's not getting paid is the one who put the money into the account. Yep. You are correct. You know, um, you're putting, uh, essentially you're asking someone to, to put up a hundred percent of the risk, you know, and, and, and take 33% of the profit, third of a profit. Cause there's so many hands in the pie, you know? Yep. Um, it really is. And then I, w- I also wanted to touch on uh, today what I think is, is so important because of the lack of is um, having cash reserves or in the fact mm-hmm. that I think the average American simply doesn't. And it's because of the way we're taught to save, you know, so much money is going to all these different places um, and not being used efficiently that, that there's simply not enough for cash reserves. Yeah. And I think part of that stems from the fact of people calling their retirement plans, retirement savings, um, because there's a huge difference in retirement savings and investing. Saving and investing are two completely different things. And I think that has been where most of the problem has been at because everybody just thinks it's one and the same. And where do you draw that line? What for you makes the the two different? You know, 
yeah. So saving, I know that if I save my money, I know that it's going to be there and it's not going to be confiscated by somebody else with the market volatility or fees, taxes, whatever that may be. In savings, I know that it's going to be, it's safe. It's going to be there when I need it. Whereas investing, there's risk involved in it. And I don't have the same guarantee that money would be there. And I can lose it because it is subject to the volatility of market and taxes and fees and all those wealth eroding factors. Mm. And um, one of the, the uh, I think interesting points you made there too, is that, um, you know, nothing in the market, essentially that the market is like gambling where, you know, you can go to mm -hmm. Vegas and, and bring a thousand bucks or something. And, and, and if you lose it, then you lose it. But if you're, if you've essentially commingled saving and investing, and you lose, you know, that could be felt for generations. That ripple effect. Yeah, absolutely, um, could be. So, where is it then in the education that the mindset needs to shift, and is it possible? Because I'm sure we've still got gurus out there, and and. Um, people who who will sell uh for instance mutual funds and um you know paying off all of your debt in order to get into the mutual fund um and then you you hit a snag like you see in the market today um where is it where can we as as professionals in the financial field um how can we best help get that information out to the public you know i i think what it comes down to is really the time value of money. I think time value of money is really one of the biggest things that isn't taught as it should, because I know if you go to a personal financial class in high school or college, what they're going to tell you is put your money into a mutual fund and you're going to get what uh, I think, uh, what I'd say 10% every year. But in reality, that's not what happens because we know that average rates of return don't mean anything in, uh, in money. And so when we look at this, it's what I tell people is you could start with $100,000 today. You could earn 100%. You could lose 50, earn 100 and lose 50. And you're back at 100,000. You're right where you started, but yet you average 25,000, 25% over those four years. So I think there's, there's really gotta be a discussion on the time value of money and how it really works in somebody's life because there's, there's really a big uh, misconception when dealing with other advisors and how they portray the numbers to people. And I wonder if it stems past just the advisor here. Um, do you think it's, I mean, is it the way we're taught? Because it's kind of the, you know, you go and I remember I was at, uh, at college and um, I know those memories are, are fresh for you. Um, but uh, when I was there, we had to take a, a mandatory um, financial education course. And it was essentially just a mutual fund pitch. If you put in mm -hmm. a thousand bucks, what was it? A thousand, yeah, a thousand bucks a year or something like that for, uh, 
for 30 years or 40 years. I forget exactly. I think they, they had it for 40 years. If you put a thousand bucks in for 40 years, you know, you'd end up with a half million dollars um, in an account. And Mm -hmm. it was at that point that I had started on my own financial journey. And, and so, you know, I just happened to, um, to raise my hand and ask, you know, what are, uh, what are the tax consequences? What's on the tax side? You know, and, and I think it's a, a perfectly reasonable question to ask, you know, how yeah. much of this is the government going to take? And they couldn't, you know, they couldn't tell me the TD, the Ameritrade people couldn't figure, figure out what it is on the other side. They were so focused on, um, they're so focused on that average rate of return, which I think as you just illustrated is a bunch of baloney. Um, yeah. Which, well, I, I shouldn't call it baloney because, you know, baloney could sustain you, but you can't eat an average rate of return. Um, nope. <laughs> you, know. rates, you can't spend rates of return, that's for sure. And that is, that is so interesting, isn't it? We're so focused on that and, and getting to this big magic number in the sky. What was it million dollar nest egg or something like that? Which, mm-hmm. by the way, I don't know how old that number is, if it's from the 60s or whatever, but um, not only. You know, I, I believe it is from the 60s. Um, I think if I do remember correctly, there was this, there was a story put out there somewhere, an article or something, where the average or the median uh, income in the '60s was like six thousand dollars a year, and then you go forward, uh, I think it was like to 2010 or something, and then the median income was sixty thousand dollars, but yet the same exact million dollar mark was the exact same. And you're sitting here thinking, wait a second, that that doesn't even that doesn't even add up because if we increased our income, why didn't our nest egg increase as well? And not only that, but how attainable is that million dollar mark for most people? Yeah, because you talk about the you talk about the time value of money. Well, what happens when the market? I think it's an average of three to four times of the market will crash, and during the average lifetime of a account. how how realistic is that you know especially for those who only have um you know who only have a, a qualified plan and it's you know i laugh because of the absurdity of it that it's, it's just um but it's it's hard because you know those are those are real people with real families and real goals that that are taking for granted that that money's going to be there yeah it absolutely is and I think some people are going to have a rude awakening here real soon, the closer we get to 2034. Mm. Uh, is, that, uh, is that our next big demographic shift then? 2034 is the estimated time that Social Security is going to run out. And mm. too many people are still basing their retirement off planning Social Security into it. When if like if you come through our practice, you'd know that you – we don't even calculate social security into it. There's, there's really no point to, because we have no certainty whatsoever that it's going to be there. And it's just like the PPP plan right now, where here's $350 billion. It's going to do very well. And then what, not even 10 days later, and they've mm-hmm. already run out of money. So right. 2034, maybe just another, just another year that they've thrown out there because of the data that they pulled up, but more people are, this might change that whole thing. Um, mm. 
and showing us that we've got to do something else and it may come sooner. Now, is it, uh, is it possible that in order to solve the, um, well, the failure of that uh, new deal that we got a hundred years ago, um, is it possible that uh, they simply raise taxes on the top brackets like usual or? Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I think that's, that's, you and I both know that is super viable and what they could do. If we just look at the tax code now, it was put in place as a temporary tax in what, 1913? And then mm-hmm. we look at it today in 2020 and our top marginal tax bracket at this moment is what, 37%? And if we were to um, just take the average highest marginal tax of the day, I think it's right at 62%. And people think taxes are high today. And that just kind of, you know, with our national debt uh, going over $24 trillion and the Medicare, the Social Security, all these liabilities that are about to show up on our balance sheet mm-hmm. with also putting into effect the baby boomers leaving the workforce. There's going to be a huge drain on, a huge strain on the uh, stock market. There's going, to, there's going to be massive liabilities coming. And, you know, in 2008, I believe, there was a letter written by the... Um, Social Security surveys is something I had to go back and look at it, but they came out and said that if we are going to continue on this path, we either have to cut spending in half or raise taxes. And when it exists, and so that is going to be a rude, very rude awakening for some people after they've been told their whole life that they're going to be in a lower tax bracket when they retire. And you have to wonder too, you know, how that goes into uh, a, a specifically a 401k because you're deferring the tax. It's not like, you know, you run into to, um, uh, so many people that say, oh, well, you know, if you put this much into a 401k, you're going to save X amount of dollars this year. But in reality, mm-hmm. you're not saving a dime. You're just postponing the tax that's already due. Um, so essentially what we're asking people to do is trade a known tax right now for a completely unknown tax rate, which I suppose based on what you're saying, uh, is just pretty much a guarantee to be higher. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not guaranteed, it is pretty dang close. Yeah, and really the only way that some of these individuals need to look at is if, you know, the retirement, retirement is really the only kind of tax that we get to pay, to pay. you know, when we work, we earn an income that we, we, we choose to have to sustain the life that we live, but then in retirement, we're the ones who get to choose our income we're the ones who really get to choose how we're taxed. And so I think it's, we really got to be um, diligent and 
open-minded on how we want to be taxed or when we want to be taxed during retirement and understanding the different most people don't know like you have an income too high well now your social security's taxed you know if you put money in tax deferred buckets you're not going to be taxed now but they'll be taxed later as you pull them out and then you're going to have rmds that force you to pay taxes there's there's a lot of things that you got to take into account and you know if you're in a high tax bracket there's there's really no reason for you to be pushing taxes off till later you might as well pay taxes that are on sale today and putting it putting them in tax-free as many tax-free buckets as you can tax advantage buckets as you can and you know we all pray and hope for the best absolutely yeah i mean i edit this part out but you want to let me in my internet kicked off no i need to be begging oh um Hold on here. Um, do you want me to put you? Are you in the waiting room or? Yes, I'm in the waiting room. All right. So I was wondering because your audio was getting a little odd there, and I didn't know. If... Yeah. So we've had a couple Wi-Fi outages around our area, so that's we use both the computer and the phone. Are you in? Um... Uh, you're in like Mount Juliet, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, is yep. that is Juliet. that uh, is that like Comcast or? Um, uh, yeah, we had Comcast. So it's unfortunate. Did you see the uh, news article about the guy who um, went through like who applied for the job and went through the whole training of uh, cable services and all of that just so that he could learn how to do it himself, so he wouldn't have to deal with customer service for Comcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I mean, he was like some retired guy, so, you know, might as well, you know. Um, so, but uh, it also says, too, like, if you're running a company and your customer service is so terrible, <laughs> somebody is willing to um, uh, to apply for a job that they know they're going to quit in, like, a week um, just to learn how to, how to uh, avoid your customer service, probably – Probably something you need to fix, you know. Yeah, probably. But um, well, because we got United um out here in in Murray County, so um, you know, could also be on my end. Yeah. And everybody's using the internet now, no. Yeah, for real, everybody. It's uh, it's just ridiculous. But in the brief interlude, I think it's been um, I think this has been going well so far. Um, is there anything else? you want to uh, uh, hone in on or move the conversation towards now that we got a little break here? Um, no, I don't think so. How about we go to 145 and or shorter and you just lead the conversation where you want it to go? All right, cool. Well, we'll go, um, yeah, we'll probably, we'll shoot for no longer than 145. And then if there's a natural pause or break, then yeah, that's where we'll end it. Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose we should probably come back to the idea too on, on, um, on the personal finance side that we're really at the mercy of a lot of factors that we had 
have had no control over that by forcing the majority of Americans into um, into the stock market, it's really mm-hmm. put them at the mercy of a lot of factors that the average American either doesn't want or doesn't have the time to to understand. And I'm not talking mm-hmm. about basic things like inflation and and um, uh, uh, taxation, but also uh, you know geopolitics. You, you know, and lost in this coronavirus thing has been the oil war between the Saudis and and Russia. And, and if that was a safe investment in a mutual fund or ETF or whatever, um, mm-hmm. you know, you lost out on that. And mm-hmm. grandma and grandpa don't necessarily want to study um, the history of trade wars. At least my grandma and grandpa don't. They <laughs> want to play golf and, you know, hit the shuffleboard. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think, is there anything that, that you have seen in your um practice that you know people have had to gain that knowledge and, and knowledge isn't a bad thing to gain but but you know when you're a business owner you kind of want to focus on the business you know right you know in our personal financial economies what we're told is put money in the stock market max our retirement plans save money we do that well, one, we gave our money to the bank and then the stock market and the government. And where people say, diversify your portfolio so all your eggs aren't in one basket. Well, if all your money is in the stock market and retirement plans, you're, all your eggs are in one basket. Mm-hmm. You're really just diversifying. And if we can, <laughs> I always like to ask the question, you know, if they rearranged the furniture on the Titanic, would it have still sunk? <laughs> right. It, it, it's really the same thing. Even Warren Buffett says it. You know, he, um, in the last market correction, he lost, what, 47 49%? It's, you can't do anything about it. So the diversification has to come from other assets. You have to cross uh, diversify over assets, whereas you have real estate positioned with, life insurance that positions with um, the stock market. You have other things that you're investing in, whether that be oil, gas, energy, you name it, but you've got to have, yeah, precious metals. You've really got to have your diversification over assets, not just the stock market. And And so go ahead. uh, And and that's, I wanted to interject. There was um, an ad uh, on the radio, you know, with this, uh, I guess I'm a natural rebel when the government tells me to stay inside, you know, I still take my dog and, you know, we go for rides and all that stuff. And um, so I listen to the radio a lot and there's a, um, some big financial advisor um, type who probably is big enough that he doesn't manage any of his own stuff anymore. Um, so the ads that he runs are always, you know, um, our stock market volatility is nothing to be worried about because you're going to be diversified with our accounts. And it's exactly what you're saying where he's telling you to put all of your money in an account, be it a 401k or brokerage account or whatever he has you in and diversify in that account. But um, exactly what you're saying that if you're not diversifying the actual asset itself, what's the point? You're only losing opportunity costs because on an upswing in the market, your money's not in the in the right spot. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. It's, it's, and you can't expect the, again, you can't expect grandma and grandpa to, to know that when they are investing right away. And I think that's where the education, educational piece comes in, you know? I, I think so too. And we've really got to, before all these 401ks and IULs, VULs, all this stuff, before it came out, people were relying on life insurance, pensions, annuities, savings. And we've gone way far away from that. And I think that's people are going to really start coming back to that. And I think too that an educated consumer can stand on principles and make a better decision that way. And so I don't think it's going to necessarily hurt any sales systems or, or pre-established structures. I, you know, um, I, I tell realtors when I work with, with them um, or, or if I'm speaking to them, um, you know, I let them know how highly I think of their profession because sometimes it can be commoditized and I feel as though mm-hmm. our profession can also be commoditized a little bit, but to remind them and they're that that an education that you can provide to the consumer at any level is of the utmost importance because if a consumer is buying on emotion which is what we kind of default to when we don't have all the facts is going to make a mistake and you don't want somebody saying you know i you know i worked with so-and-so and and i lost money or "I, i worked with so and so and i bought a bad house or a car or whatever um and I think sometimes we get too wrapped up in that selling side um, and, and forget about what's important there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's another thing too. And, and something that I think, um, I think we'll probably uh, end off here with and, and what is so important. Um, again, coming back to the, that old uh, idiot box, the radio, um, there's the same guy runs a couple different ads and another one, you know, talking about how he's, he's not paid by commission. He's paid on a fee and mm-hmm. uh, how he's therefore impartial. And <laughs> well, uh, I guess we have the same reaction there. Everybody's selling something. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, that can either be a good thing or a bad thing. And yeah. I suppose, and and you can probably speak to this, how, just how badly have you seen people that get hurt, you know, because of the fees that they don't even know they're getting hurt on that side, the opportunity cost of those fees? Oh, it's, it's incredible. And I always laugh at this and I always like to compare it to, sometimes people will say, well, this guy's certified financial planner and he's going to charge me a fee. And uh, I like that better than, a advisor who's just licensed in insurance products and is going to be paid a commission. They're just going to be paid these super high commissions. And, you know, if you just do the math and this advisor who might be licensed in the insurance, he's going to be there for your whole life. And he's going to be paid 10, 20 times less than the fee advisor, because no matter if the stock market is going up or down, he's going to be getting his 1% no matter what. And when you, when you spread that out over 30, 40 years, man, that, uh, that really starts to add up and take money away from your, it's a, that's a planned loss in your own financial plan. And you, you really got to find a way to recapture that cost. 
And, you know, you talk about, uh, to bring it back, you know, full circle, we talked about the time value of money, um, you know, over time, because you're, it's not like the um, broker's paying that, you know, yeah, money's coming right out of the account, that 1%. Yep. And it may look small, you know, Charles Schwab may say we only charge 0.95% or whatever, but, you know, over the lifetime of the account and, and more, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess uh, the final question is the natural one. Um, how do we fix it? No use complaining about it, right? So how do right. we uh, how do we help fix it? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it's all up in the air right now. Um, it came fast and it came hard. So I think we're gonna, like I said offline, you know, I think capitalism is gonna kick in here soon and we'll be done in a few months times. I hope so. I hope so. Um, I just hope uh, socially we're, we're, we're bought the enough time to, to let it kick in because not, there's nothing more powerful than a free market. Um, with that being said, uh, thank you for your time, Brock. And uh, of course, uh, this I hope was an enlightening conversation for, for those um, who are lucky enough to hear it. That was good stuff. I like that. Yeah. I think it, uh, I think it flowed all right as a conversation, you know? Um, yeah, I think so too. I think uh, there was no, like, it wasn't cyclical in the sense, it was a nice big circle, but it wasn't like cyclical in the sense we weren't just at saying the same thing over and over again, which, which I think can happen. Um, so do you want to do this like monthly, bi-monthly, weekly, you know, uh, what if we do um, monthly? Okay. I can do that. Um, do you care same time every month or just the fact that four, five, six, you know, that it's just one month up or, or you know, are you regimented to the 16th every month? Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I think once we, since we're in such an interesting time, I think we should just, kind of wait let's get into the next month and plan yeah, to see what happens this might be all done next month so yeah we'll see i say hopefully It'll be interesting to see what all happens you see michigan starting a bit i did i saw where they were going to the streets yeah well they can't even motorboat at that point like they just their governor came yeah, down they way can't. too hard they also can't even buy seeds <laughs> so that's I'm just I'm a loss at that one. I don't, I don't get that one. How does that, yeah, how does that affect the coronavirus other than this is about, for that, for the Michigan governor, this is about a power grab. Um, yeah. Just interesting yeah. times, uh, like you said. So well, I don't want to take up your whole afternoon, but uh, appreciate it. I'll have this, uh, I think you can probably expect to see this up on iTunes on Monday. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I'll have a, a link to it on social medias and all that stuff. And I'll send you a text when, when it's up. Um, do you want it no, just on iTunes or do you want YouTube or. You can put and, it on Spotify and. And then do you want it as its iTunes. own podcast or do you want it under the Kevin Prendeville hub? Whatever you'd like. 
Okay. All right. Whatever works best for you. I, uh, I'm cool with whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever you want. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, I suppose guaranteed I'll, uh, get in touch with you next month, but, um, hopefully before then, you know, yeah, absolutely. So cool. Well, All right. Nice. We'll, we'll talk again here soon. Excellent. All right. Appreciate it, Brock. Yep. Thank you. I'll see All you. Right. Bye now.